I think it was having absolutely no idea what to do. <laughs> like I didn't have a, a degree or a background in, you know, business or finance. And I had no clue as to how to run a business. It really was sink or swim. And it was, you know, the biggest and the, the greatest learning curve I've ever, I've ever gone on. I think nothing beats hands-on experience, but I guess my, if I had to boil it down to my biggest challenge, it would be probably not knowing how to scale it. Like with my first business I had, I proved on a small scale product market fit, but yeah, I had no idea how to turn it from an exhausting side hustle into a real profitable business. The Alpha Talks podcast crafts you and your business into an alpha, not for the faint-hearted. I am Sefer Hakim, serial entrepreneur and your success mentor, founder of the Alpha Movement, and people call me the Alpha. And that's for a reason, of course. With 20 plus years of experience and eight figures portfolio of businesses, myself and the show guests will be striking thunder of top-notch listening in business and mindset. No bull, just first-class value, not like others. So join us now to become your own version of an alpha. Welcome back, alphas, to a new episode of the Alpha Talks podcast. Today, I have a very special guest joining us, a true trailblazer in the world of wellness and entrepreneurship. She's a visionary founder and the CEO of Monk, the first at-home ice bath and cold water therapy app, empowering individuals to take control of their mental, physical, and emotional health. She's also the host of Submerge podcast. She built and exited two businesses from scratch, and she left her job in the world of advertising to pursue her love of fitness and nutrition. Please give a warm welcome to the remarkable Laura. How are you, Laura? I'm very well, thank you. Likewise, thanks so much for having me. Good to have you today. Same here. We're very happy. And I believe all the people listening to us and watching us will be very inspired with this kind of show or interview with you. Thank you very much. But before we start, let's say somebody, when we publish the episode, somebody will look at the thumbnail, will see the title, will see you, and they think it's an interesting episode. Why do you think they should give us their time today to watch the episode? What they will gain? Just give us. I assume we're going to go through all kinds of tidbits about being a female founder, anything health tech, software, hardware related. Hopefully share a few of the the bad experiences as well as the good, because I love to be very honest about entrepreneurial journeys. True, true. We're all looking forward to that. So let's start a little bit from the early time. You had a decision to to leave the corporate world, keep leave advertising to pursue your passion which is the, the fitness. What challenge did, did you face? Gosh, yeah. So at the time I was working in advertising and I had a really great job. I kind of, I loved it. You know, it was very creative and really lent into some of my strengths, but I just always had this itch and I just could not stop thinking about starting my business. And I'd had this idea and I always think it's interesting because you hear a lot of entrepreneurs saying they could never work for anyone else. But for me, it was very different. I think I'm naturally quite a collaborative person. I think as long as I really believed in the vision and the leadership, I could definitely work in another team, but I just couldn't stop thinking about this business and I just, I had to do it. But I think it's it's quite interesting because 
from my experience in, in advertising, I've definitely taken, that's definitely influenced my entrepreneurial journey. I've always lent into very much, you know, consumer focus, like brand led businesses. True, true, true. You know, we, we come from the same background before I also jumped on the entrepreneurial journey, I was the CMO of Samsung. So I, I was totally corporate, totally marketing, totally advertising, and also to switch. But tell me what was the challenge you faced in the beginning that to take this step I forward? think it was having absolutely no idea what to do. <laughs> like I didn't have a, a degree or a background in, you know, business or finance. And I had no clue as to how to run a business. It really was sink or swim. And it was, you know, the biggest and the, the greatest learning curve I've ever, I've ever gone on. I think nothing beats hands-on experience. But I guess my, if I had to boil it down to my biggest challenge, it would be probably not knowing how to scale it. Like with my first business, I had, I proved on a small scale product market fit, but yeah, I had no idea how to turn it from, an exhausting side hustle into a real profitable True. business. Yeah. Business. We will talk about that because that's important for a lot of entrepreneurs. Once they start something, okay, they keep doing everything, you know, and then suddenly I need to scale, but I have a capacity at the end of the day. So one of the things we will be talking about is dedication. But before we move that uh, forward, you started two companies and you exited yes. them. Can you tell me the challenges or the lessons learned from this path? Gosh, I mean, endless challenges and, and lessons. <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I believe so. I think with particularly with the first one, like I mentioned, the problem was not knowing how to scale it. And at the time, I didn't have a great network. I didn't have friends who were doing similar things. I didn't really know that many people, so I just didn't have the resource to lean on. And so, trying to figure out how to how to progress it was was the biggest challenge of all. And I think that also became possibly like the biggest lesson of my life that your your network and the people you surround yourself with is everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think naturally through running both those companies, I built like the base of a good, a good solid network. I mean, the, so the first company I started was a health and fitness subscription box. So each month, you know, I worked with eight to 10 companies. So over a couple of years, I had, you know, yeah, quite a, a good resource or network of people to, to kind of lean on. But I think in the last few years, I really put that on steroids and not that I really meant to, but it just happened. You know, I'm part of a couple of True. networking or like entrepreneur groups. And yeah, I think it's, you know, it's not being necessarily surrounded by people who are just making money, but just by people who were like, curious emotionally intelligent interesting and driven and i think that being around those people is just so so inspiring and 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 so contagious as we say like your network is your net worth at yes. the end of the day it, nobody can succeed on his own so it's how to build the network to keep this network going and growing it's extremely important for our success let's move a little bit to monk it's a very i would say innovative idea let's put it like that extremely innovative. How did this idea come to you? And what did you do to make it happen? Because a lot of people have ideas. First of all, they don't know how to identify. You identified an opportunity, I would say, with Monk. And then second, you moved it to a reality. Tell us a little bit. So I, I guess it was really born out of my own frustration. Um, so I've always been really into you know, health optimization and biohacking. My goal is just to, to feel amazing. And I do a lot of weird health things, but I had never tried cold water therapy. 
And one day I'd been invited to this breathwork and ice bath workshop and I went along thinking this is going to be horrible because honestly, I've always hated being cold. So yeah, it just sounded like an awful idea, but I did it. And afterwards, I just had this sense of clarity and accomplishment and yeah, I I just felt amazing. And I, I don't know what your journey's been like, but the thing that I've struggled with as I guess an entrepreneur is, is just stress. I'm really fortunate. I've never really had, you know, anxiety or depression, but stress is, is a real epidemic. And this practice kind of gave me freedom from it. So naturally. I use sports mm. to get rid of stress. Uh, absolutely yeah. correct. On the same, on the same way. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, so naturally I just, I wanted more of it, but the thing I found really quickly was that it's just so inaccessible, which sounds stupid because it's cold water, but it was so hard to do. And you know, there were a few ice baths on the market, but they were all like 10 to 15,000 pounds, which to me just seemed obscene. And I, you know, bought so many bags of ice to put into my bath at home. I've used like frozen horse water troughs. (laughs) (laughs) I've done all sorts to try and get my fix. And it just got to the point where I was like, why is it so hard to do something so good for my health? And why, why does this not exist? And to be honest, at first, I just wanted to make an ice bath for myself. And then I had a few friends who were like, oh, I want one too. I want one too. And so we kind of, you know, I carried on and I was actually looking at making my own DIY ice bath. So just using like a massive, oh, yeah, really? <laughs> like a chest freezer. Solving a problem you have. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah. <laughs> um, sure. And then I, I came across this private Facebook group. And at the time there were 6,000 people in it. And I checked the other day and there's now like 38,000 people all learning how to transform, yeah, chest freezers into DIY ice baths. And I just thought, if there's this many people willing to get electrocuted, <laughs> surely there's something bigger here. And so that really was was the catalyst behind Monk. But a question, because maybe a lot of like our listeners don't know exactly what Monks is in a nutshell, but what the things that differentiates Monk in comparison to all the other players in the yeah. world? Yeah. So well, the, the problem we realized very quickly that we were solving isn't just to make an ice bath that looks great, that's at a better price. It's actually that people don't know how to use cold water therapy. It's like, say you were using it for mental health or muscle recovery, you'd use it in a totally different way. But most people don't know that. And you just see people on Instagram, like hacking into frozen over lakes. And if if you've never done it before and you go and do that, you're probably going to have a terrible time. You're not going to want to do it again. Then you're not going to unlock the benefits. So what we've done differently at Monk is we've created this really beautiful hardware and software. So it's a physical ice bath as well as the app that teaches people how to use it. So there'll be programs like tailored to you that bring in breath work and soundscapes and guided audio that that make it. a. So it's really different. Yeah. It's really different. If I'm using it for muscle recovery, it's different than if I'm using it to pump my immunity for mental health. It's, it's really different Correct. settings. That's pretty yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess we kind of, we identified that as being the real problem. And yeah, that, that's what our, our product solves. Super. I hope, I, can I be one of the first yes. buyers? Is it already in the no, market? No, not yet. Not yet. When it's expected. Later this year, the first batch are going out. Yeah, Later they've already day. been pre-sold. And then we go into full production in January. I would love to be one of the first buyers. <laughs> I would love to. Okay. In Monk, you're acting as a CEO. What is leadership for you and how you handle leadership with your team at Monk? Ooh, I guess I think my my leadership principles are deeply intertwined with our core values. I guess ultimately it's it's purpose-driven leadership. You know, our mission to be the world leaders in cold water therapy has to 
be at the heart of everything we do. So every decision, no matter how big or small, has to align with that. And and I think that in turn creates a sense of of purpose and of meaning for the entire team. I think particularly when you're a founding CEO, not just, you know, a CEO coming into, into an existing business, you are the vision. Like, you know, before the company's even taken shape, like you need to be able to to sell that into people and not just your team, but also investors and customers and the press. Um, so yeah, that, and I guess how that pans out day to day is, yeah, is intertwined with the core values. So whether that is, you know, one of them is being solutions focused. So, you know, every problem you have, you've got to have three solutions. Um, you've got to be, you know, honest, even when it's uncomfortable and, and whenever we decide on the right path, you just, you have to fully commit because obviously everyone has different opinions all the time. You're not going to agree with the, the final decision, but you just have to, to get on with it and, and buy into it. True. When you were starting Monk, tell me what you were looking for when you were hiring your, I would say, leadership team or your team in general. What you were Ooh, looking for? Well, so this is quite an interesting one because what I learned from the two previous companies and also just consulting in some others is just how important your team is. And I didn't have a co-founder and I actually would have loved to have had one, but there just wasn't the right person. So I remember myself and Lee, who's now my chairman, um, he's an investor, like principal advisor. I remember us sitting down and trying to map out like, okay, how are we going to have the structure and almost the support of a co-founder without actually having one? So I've actually got quite an interesting structure around me where a lot of the early investors are also advisors. So say, for example, Rich, who is an investor, he's also our fractional C- um, CFO. And we've got someone else who actually became an investor after they joined as a fractional CTO. So yeah, and to be honest, it's it's worked so, so well. Like, like it means that- They bought in the vision. Yeah. They bought in the yeah, vision. Yeah, totally. And also they're just, they're super smart. And obviously, you know, from day one, you're not going to be able to afford the absolute top talent full-time. So it's been a really interesting, interesting mix. What will be, okay, maybe it's an early question, but what's the future plans for a monk, a vision? Yeah, it's, maybe it's an early one, but what's so, your vision? So well, the, the vision is to be the world leaders in cold water therapy. So I want Monk to be, you know, a billion pound company. I want us to be phenomenally successful. And I think where, where we're going with cold water therapy is, is going to be similar with what happened with meditation and mindfulness. Like in the early days, uh, the founder of was it the founder of Calm? Yeah, he couldn't he couldn't raise. He was struggling to fundraise because everyone thought meditation was this weird thing reserved for hippies. And I think we're going to see the same with cold water therapy. I think in a couple of years it's going to become so normal. Like rather than people having a cup of coffee, they'll be having a nice bath. And rather than all the the bankers going and you know having a couple of pints at lunch or after work to wind down, they'll be hopping in a monk. But a question. Does it, does it need that everybody do it every day or not? No. An everyday ritual? No. It, again, it depends on on so many things. Um, it depends like, yeah, your goals, why you're doing it. Because, you know, for example, if it was after muscle recovery or pre-cooling because you're an endurance athlete, you'd use it different when you're training to when you're competing. And as a female as well, you wouldn't use it consistently throughout the month. Like you would, like during a, a menstrual phase, for example, you don't really want to be doing cold water therapy. So there's so many like personal factors that come into it. And that's something we're looking to deliver through the app as well. Perfect. So the app handles this for the end user yeah. 100%. Depends yeah. on the goal. Very nice. Okay, let's a little bit switch to entrepreneurship. And in entrepreneurship, failures are common. A lot of people get afraid of failures, but failures are common. Can you share with us an instant that you failed 
And how did you overcome yeah. this? Oh God, I mean, we fail all the time. I'd say half <laughs> half the time exactly. you're failing. And the, in a way, the quicker you fail, the quicker you are to success. I mean, yeah, we have setbacks and failures the whole time. And um, for example, just last week, we unfortunately, so we've pre-sold the first batch of Monk, which we hoped would be going out at the end of this month, but there's going to be a three month delay, which is obviously gutting. And like the only thing I want to do is get to market super, super quickly. But, you know, you've got to do things and make changes for the right reasons. And as long as you're you're doing it in integrity with the long term vision in mind, it it's you're doing it. Yeah. For the right reason. Obviously, there's there's part of it where, you know, it sucks. I have to say to customers like, oh, sorry, it's going to be a three month delay. Like no one wants that. It's frustrating and it's upsetting. But, you know, look at Tesla and their their Cybertruck. They've just started shipping Absolutely. <laughs> after two years of <laughs> delay. So, you know, really, what is what is three months now compared to you know who's who's going to remember that in a few months time but how do you uh, manage uh, failures what kind of tips can you give for starting entrepreneurs again everybody feels face failures what kind of tips and strategies do you use i always like the saying remove emotion and execute so like using that um what i just said as an example it would be so easy for me to get caught up emotionally and feel really bad like, oh, i'm going to have to tell these customers oh i don't want to do that and i just wish we could get it out but ultimately it's the right decision it's that's what it's going to take to get to market so i think that helps me reframe things slightly um and also just i think just having really smart people around the table you know we we make decisions collectively and and i think as long as you have the the confidence and the assurance that you're doing it for the right reasons um, yeah, you're 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 always going to fail, but it's how you, I guess, roll with the punch and and come handle back fighting. It. True, how you handle yeah. it. Remove emotions from it is very interesting thing that you said. I really love it because one of the things that hold us back is our can manage to. Yes, we're humans. We can feel down, but the how fast you can recover or you reduce your recovery time that sets yes. it apart. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. We talked in the beginning about scaling and growing. And I do believe that to be able to scale and grow uh, is your ability to delegate. So can you tell us a little bit about delegation and how do you delegate? Yeah. Do you know, that's really interesting because this is something that I'm very bad at and I'm trying to get better at. I think I fall into that. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to delegate, honestly, because you started something that's your baby and you think that you're the best to do it in whatever circumstance yeah so delegation becomes very yeah hard. it is that that intrinsic kind of toxic founder belief that you think you can do it better and sometimes it, it's not that I feel I can do it better but I just I get so I find it hard to break out of the doing and just rolling my sleeves up and, and executing rather than actually taking a step back and focusing more on the strategy and planning so that that's honestly something that I'm I'm really working on and also I think it's hard when you have a really small team we're just we've got a a roadmap to to hire which we can start bringing people in soon which is exciting um because there yeah there is always that that difficult balance in the early days when you, you do have to get really stuck in monk is playing in a very interesting area or an interesting field that requires a lot of trust and credibility it does touch wellness and health and so on how do you build this with your consumer base i think it almost comes back to my point about integrity. And I think having really clear communication, I think one of the the things we really wanted to do was make sure that everyone is so well informed and brought in on our journey with us. So say, for example, people that are 
in our database we send really frequent emails telling them like what's happening with product development and what we're doing and why we're doing it and I think when people understand I think that's a big part and also just the the people that we've got around the table bring a lot of credibility um you know we've got some really well-known athletes and people involved with the business um and I think having those people that that kind of are there to stand behind you and say like I believe in this does a lot as well 100% so like sharing the journey with your your consumer base and having credible and trustworthy people in your team that's 100% on point i think this question would be very interesting for people who want to start or like can be like working in corporate and they want to start the entrepreneurship journey and everybody when he has an idea is afraid to take the first steps like what to do can you tell them from your point of view how did you do this first step like just like some people are fed up, so they had no option until unless they take the step. But if people are okay, kind of okay in the corporate world, but they have an idea and they're just, ah, I can't take the first step. And I believe the first step is the hardest to, to get all in and move ahead. So what can you tell us about that? I would say find mentors and people doing similar things to you. Ideally, people who are further ahead than you and learn from them. And it doesn't have to be some formal like mentor relationship bribe them with food wine whatever works just to steal some of their time like that's how that's how I started off yeah and I wish I'd done that in the first two businesses I really only started to do it really in Monk and that has just been incredible Um, and I'd say read books listen to podcasts just immerse yourself in that world yeah but do you do you think do you think people struggle with the first step just because they don't know how to do it or do you think it is overwhelmed with just like the process of starting not knowing i believe they're uh they're looking at the end result and the end result is usually something big so they're overwhelmed with what to do to reach this end result so what i usually tell people just break it down to small things a small thing there is no fear in trying a small like i want to open let's say a social media agent start with the website put your portfolio online and then and then and then and then but like okay i want to hype high paying tickets clients that's it's like one year down the line let's put it this way why you're thinking about it right now so i believe it's the overwhelm they're afraid to just i would say to people shut down your brains for a couple of seconds and take the step and that will be taking away the emotions from it I think I always have quite a, a logical approach to things like that because I would write down all the things that I need to do or I can think of doing and then try and just map out which to focus on first. A very interesting way, yeah. absolutely. True. I love that as well. Okay, let's move to a very interesting one. I've been waiting to ask this question. Tech. Tech is a male-dominated industry. Okay? And you decided to do something in the tech <laughs> industry. So can you tell me, like, did you face any challenges um, and how did you overcome it? Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. I have experienced challenges. And I think maybe not even so much being in tech, but just female in business. Yeah. Um, I mean, most recently I've been fundraising. So we're raising a, a £2 million seed. And I guess I'll, I'll tell you how I've personally noticed it, but I guess just to set the scene, like we know the statistics, right? It's less than what, 2% of VC funding goes to female led businesses which is crazy. Um, but I, I also, I think it's probably important to note that we wouldn't want that to be 
50% because 50% of businesses aren't female founded. So, you know, we don't want to over index, but we, you know, what we're aiming mm-hmm, for is, is equality, right? But I thought one thing that was really interesting was there was a study that looked at the types of questions asked and to females, they would say things like, how are you going to protect your market share? Whereas to males, they'd say, how will you double your market share? So it's like, it's a very subtle difference, but to women, it's like a protection question. Oh, really? Yeah. And to a guy, it's like a promotion question. But, but then where it gets even more interesting is it didn't matter whether the VCs themselves were male or female. They still ask the same questions. So it's not like this is a, oh, males are awful thing. It's just, it's a societal issue. But I guess how, <laughs> how I've experienced it recently was, well, it's, it's actually happened more than once, unfortunately, but it's when a potential male investor has been more interested in my dating life than actually investing in my business. And I mean, it's just infuriating. It's such a waste of my time, completely undermines my abilities as a leader. And it's also humiliating. Like at the moment we have, I have weekly calls with my board and to turn around and say like, oh yeah, you know that guy we thought was going to invest? Yeah, he just wanted a date. Like it's, <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's not fun. But it's an interesting journey. Yeah. Very interesting because nobody sees this side at all. And we think, okay, we're, we're seeking uh, investments. Everything is fine. No, like female oriented or like, because since this is a dom- male dominated, I would say like area. So females face a lot of challenges. And you told us a couple, like, I'd love the tonality in the thing. I love like, okay, how you protect your market share versus how you grow your yeah. market share. That's a very interesting one. And the dating part is also amazing. <laughs> but I think... So a lot of challenges, Yeah, I but I think also just being a female CEO is interesting because, you know, to your point, it's a very much like a male-dominated area. And also, traditionally, it's a very masculine role. And I think people think as a female CEO, you've either got to be a ball breaker or you're weak. <laughs> Whereas actually, like for me, being a female CEO, it's, it's not about fitting into like a predominantly masculine mold. It's about harnessing that full spectrum of spectrum of masculine and feminine energies or qualities and you know leaning into one or the other when needed and I think both bring really distinct advantages you know typically the feminine side emphasizes collaboration intuition and empathy whereas the male side drives more like assertiveness and risk-taking and logical decision making but you can still be assertive and lead with empathy um so yeah I was also I was speaking to someone the other day and they place um, like C-suite execs in, in large corporations. And they were saying, naturally, they typically place males there. But the thing that he noticed was that they place the men there. And then these companies are spending sometimes hundreds of thousands to teach them things like collaboration and empathy. So in, yeah, yeah so his point true. was in mm-hmm. short, Correct. they hire males and then yeah. train them to be like yeah. females, which I just thought was <laughs> true, true, 100%. <laughs> yeah, quite funny. love this story 100% we talked about investments like raising investments the initial investments what kind of advice do you have to entrepreneurs they're seeking to raise investment initially the initial yeah what is in like the very first round I think the thing that worked really well for me or was probably actually my savior uh, was my mentor and chairman Lee who I mentioned I mean at the time he was I mean, it was like a non-formal kind of advisory. And he also said he was going to invest, but you know, his, that's his background. And I had no idea 
how to pitch. I'd never been exposed to fundraising. I had no idea what the process was or how you actually even like what, what a deck looked like. And the thing that was that paid off most again was it just came back to network. And it was finding, say Lee has like a phenomenal network. So actually he brought in a lot of his friends. But once you find one investor, then likely they'll want to introduce you to their friends. So I think it's, you know, it's just prioritize your network and, and go out to them. And just, I think there, there's the saying, ask for advice, and you get investment, ask for investment, you get advice. So yeah, so actually approaching people and asking for Good. advice is a great yeah. way to start. Mm-hmm. A question. There are a lot of people that they're, they have opinions with regards to bootstrapping or finding VCs, which to start. What's your opinion on that? Um, so my first two businesses were bootstrapped, but then uh, Monk, there was just no way I could bootstrap it. Like building hardware and software up scale, front. Right? Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, so it just, it wasn't an option for us to to bootstrap it. I mean, I guess we could have done, but it would probably be 10 years before we actually get to market. <laughs> so, yeah. So it depends on the business. 100%. That's what I tell people. There is no right or wrong answer. It depends on what business you're in. Uh, bootstrapping a tech, a tech idea, it's impossible. Yeah. Let's put it in that way. Okay. We talked about networking. Can you tell me how networking is important to your success? And what kind of advice do you give people on how to network? Because a lot of people, I believe, do networking in a very wrong way. In an absolute, I network with this person, like Laura, can you help me with this right away? It doesn't go this way. It's a give and take building the relationship can you tell us about network from your point yeah of view? so i think a couple of the best things i've done was to join a couple of uh, founders like entrepreneur groups there's one like based in london and there's another one called baby bathwater and both of them have been phenomenal because you're surrounded with an amazing mix of people that are just wanting to to help each other and the one actually the one in the baby bathwater one they have a flagship event each year where it's a private island in Croatia. There's just 200 entrepreneurs that are there for five days. And as much as it's, you know, it's not networking, loads of stuff comes out the back of it, but you're just there to, to party and there's amazing content. And I think it's when you're a founder or an entrepreneur, you know, it's such a unique position that you're in. So to be surrounded by other people that just get it is phenomenal. But I guess... Yeah, it's interesting you say how to network because I, although I call it networking, it it doesn't really feel like you're networking, like there for a reason. But I don't, what's your take on it? It's, you know, I believe number one, it's for, in order for one a person to be successful, you need to be among the right people. And when people position networking, it's not like it's like an objective to network. It's just a word to say, be in the right within the right circle or with surrounded by right-minded people, the people who share the same, I would say, philosophies, values in your same industry. Of course, I see a lot of people like right away dealing with networking in a very, I would say, wrong way, which is, an, uh, hello, Safe, how are you? Uh, can you help me with this, this and that? You can't start this way. That's a very, I would say, it's a rough one. So network is like, as you said, like joining a group, um, going uh, for an event with people, getting to know the right people, and by helping each other down the line, it's a mutual beneficial relationship. That's for me, uh, networking in a nutshell. But not just like I'm networking, I'm talking to Laura right now, just to, she will give me something. Whatever the something is, it's an advice, it's an investment, it is, it is, it is. It, that's not my primary objective. My primary objective is to build, I would say, 
a mid to long term relation with that person. And at the end of the day, it will be mutually beneficial. Yeah, that resonates a lot. And actually, one one thing that I think is like a golden rule is if you meet someone, you say you're going to introduce them to someone or do something for them. Absolutely. Just follow up on it. There's nothing worse. And people like, yeah, yeah, I'll introduce you to this person. And then you just don't hear anything again. So I think also just building that. I guess it's like credibility and just knowing that people can rely on you. Like, yeah, I think that's that's 101. Your business or you as a person, you're passionate about the well-being, the, the mental health, the wellness, so on and so forth. How do you manage this with being a role of a CEO, so running a company, wanting to scale the company? You have an amazing goal being the number one. That's a lot of work. And a lot against the mental health, <laughs> well-being, <laughs> in, in a very traditional way, but like it's totally opposite. How do you manage that? I have to build it into my schedule and do not let that slip. I have to try and flip it on its head and make either, whether it's whatever it is, like working out rest, make that a priority. And the irony is that, you know, I, I got into this business because I'm, yeah, super passionate about mental, physical and emotional health. And typically when you get really busy, that's the first thing that drops. But I'm trying to be really strict with myself about making sure that happens. And actually I had this reinforced or, or reframed recently in a really interesting way. So my product officer, we're having a conversation. He said something about the greatest chance of, of Monk doing really well. And consequently, you know, him doing really well from it. it. Ultimately, it comes down to me. And that really made me think like, wow, okay. Like I owe it to, not just to the team, but to my investors. Like it really does come down to me to make it work. Not that I need more like motivation or fire in my belly, but it just reframed that actually, yeah, I need to prioritize myself. Like if working out or taking time off or having an IV drip is going to give me that extra mental clarity or happiness, whatever it is. Sharpness, like, energy, yeah. true. Like I actually, I have to do that. And I then noticed it the other morning. I was thinking, oh, shall I do some breath work in front of my red light or shall I, I'll just go to work. And then I was like, no, I need to do this. Yeah. True. It will help me yeah. at work. True. Yeah. It's a matter of prioritization, 100%. Totally, totally agree. Okay, um, I would say not the, not the last question, one before. If you want to like give an advice or a key message to the people listening to us in, from today's interview, what will be your key message? Ooh, I would say try cold water therapy. <laughs> but not, not in a way that I'm just trying to plug Monk, but I think there's a reason that, you know, high performers and entrepreneurs love it so much. And it is because it just gives you that, it helps you make decisions from from a point of clarity and it sharpens your mind. And I think more than anything, it, it res builds resilience and stress tolerance. Like, you know, I was saying at the beginning, it the thing that I've not struggled with, but I try to manage well is, is stress. And, you know, cold water therapy, it's a cold stressor. Um, it's like a hormetic stressor. So, but it also has this thing called cross adaption where it then helps you deal with other stresses in life. And so if something can help you just put, things into perspective it doesn't really matter what problems come at you that day in in business work life relationships you just feel better equipped to handle them and I think it's that's just so important for for anyone on their their business journey do, do you ship internationally or we not? will do yeah yeah we will do in the yeah. next phase so I'll be lining oh yeah <laughs> okay, you're next in line <laughs> yeah uh before I, I end I want to ask you a question now that's the, the product of Monk is actually, again, it's a unique product. How do you market it? 
what kind of channels do you use to market? So do you know what? We we haven't really actively been marketing it yet. And we've been so fortunate. We've been in, you know, the Financial Times, GQ, Vogue, The Telegraph, and we've had so much publicity, which is phenomenal. But I think that also, you know, just shows how timely it is just having a product that obviously looks beautiful, but is just at the forefront of this, what is going becoming this mainstream movement. When I saw the product, you know, like iPhones, did, it was not the first smartphone in the market. So there were smartphones before, but they created a design that is so sleek and looks very beautiful that it gave it an edge in the market when i saw monk i felt exactly the same thank you like i saw a lot of water bath things equipment products i would say they're ugly you understand like it's something that you want to put at home but yeah hide it. <laughs> monk uh absolutely not it's a very beautiful sleek the design is amazing you took care of every single detail so i believe that you put a lot of effort in the product design Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it it's was really, really, it was well so done. important to us that, you know, if you're spending a lot of money on a product, you don't want something to, yeah, to your point where you just want to hide it, like you want it to look beautiful. You want it to be able to have it in your home or in your garden and, and also fit into, you know, premium gyms and hotels and, and things like that. So yeah, the, the design of it was, was really important. Very well done on that. Before we end, I have a ritual in the Alpha Talks. The ritual is we have a book called the Alpha Talks Memoir. And the alpha guests we have have to do three things. You're not going to be able to write it like physically here. We'll be communicating through email that you can write me things. I would appreciate it very much because I'm keeping, I would say like it's an archive of a lot of things. But the three things are number one is that you told me you write about the experience you had with Alpha Talks. Number two is what, who's the next guest you want us to have on the show to inspire and impact people. I would love that as well from your side. And the third one is to write a question to the next guest. But the thing is, the next guest will not know who's writing the question, but it's a way of communicating the alphas, communicating together. So these are with the three things I'll be asking from you. I would really appreciate when we communicate over email that you send me these three things and I will print them and put them in the memoir. Amazing. But now I will tell you the question from, from the Alpha I had uh, guest. So the question was, if you would change one thing in your life, what would be that? Oh, wow. Oh, gosh. By the way, I didn't see it. Before, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean... I'm just looking at it the first time now. The first thing that comes to my mind is about... I hate to call it the work-life balance. And, you know, to your point, we've just mm -hmm. talked about how important it is like, to do what you need for your Ugh. mental, physical, and emotional health. But I feel like I definitely need to have more time doing some fun things. Like, for example, I've just started jiu-jitsu, which is awesome. I love it. Because when you're doing it, you can't think of anything else. Yeah, but exactly. I just need a bit <laughs> more of, of that in my life. It's fun. You know the interesting thing that when people... It's about social media again and what it portrays to people that when they see that or they hear that everybody, like this person is an entrepreneur, they think that their life is full of fun. Um, that's not reality. Actually, the, the life is about grinding, getting things done, turning the idea into reality, a lot of challenges. Yes, there is 5-10% fun, but the 90% is close to <laughs> hell, I would say. 
<laughs> close to her. So I love the idea of jujitsu. Yeah, actually. it's amazing. It could be. And do you know what? what what you it's say really is cool. so true. Like, for example, um, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the Belgian Grand Prix, which is so much fun, but it was very much for work. I went with some investors, meeting some potential investors. So the whole time there, you're probably grafting and working. And what people don't see is you then going back to your hotel room and doing like eight hours of work in an hour. Yeah. So, yeah, true, true, 100%, yeah. 100%. And it's more, you know, it's if you put it in a correct perspective, I think it's a work-life not uh, balance but it's more about integration you get a little bit of fun in these kind of events okay but it's trying to get the fun while doing yeah. the work so it's not like the flowery the greeny thing that everybody sees absolutely not yes we have a pleasure we love what we're doing again it's not like we don't love but it's not like we're partying all night we're uh, on vacation every weekend it's not this way at all it's the other way yeah, around totally Laura, thank you very much. It was really a pleasure having you today. And I really hope that you enjoyed it as much as I am absolutely positive that the audience did Absolutely. Well. Thank you for having me. Thanks to you. So that wraps up another inspiring episode of today's show. I hope that this episode has ignited your inner alpha and left you feeling inspired, motivated, and ready to conquer any challenge that comes your way. Remember that alphas aren't born, they're made. is isn't about dominating others. It's about embracing your authenticity, leading with integrity, and making positive impact on the world. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the Alpha Talks podcast on your favorite platform, leave us a review, and share the podcast with your fellow Alphas. Let's create a movement of Alphas supporting one another. The world needs more Alphas like you. Until next time, stay bold, stay driven, and be an Alpha. That wraps another inspiring episode of today's show. I hope that this episode has ignited your inner alpha and left you feeling inspired, motivated, and ready to conquer any challenge that comes your way. Remember, alphas aren't born, they're made. It isn't about dominating others. It's about embracing your authenticity, leading with integrity, and making a positive impact on the world. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the Alpha Talks on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a review and share the podcast with your fellow alphas. Also connect with us on social media at Safer Hakim. Share your thoughts, insight, and stories of personal and business growth with us. Let's create a movement of alphas supporting one another. The world needs more alphas like you, exactly. Until next time, stay bold, stay driven, and stay alpha.